It is indescribable to see you in the pews. And for those of you watching online, we have not forgotten you. We know there are thousands of you and we love you too, but it is good to have people in this church again. And so I thank you for coming, for reserving your spot, for showing up, for being patient and being together physically once again. It's, it's a remarkable experience. I attended a Jubilee event earlier this week. It was out under our tent on the West Field. And I said to Chris later, I had forgotten that I was an extrovert because I saw people and it was like I just started vibrating and I was actually having conversations and maybe had a little godly hug here and there. I mean, it was so hard to not greet one another after what we've been through. So we really are sincerely glad you're here. We're still doing it safely. We still have our masks on, um, but there's some things that we can do in the worship that will feel familiar again, and we're grateful for that. As you heard in my opening sentence, it's Good Shepherd Sunday. Um, some of you know that I was actually on the radio this morning with the classical station 101.1. And so as I said to other clergy today, if you don't like what you hear here, go to the recording and listen to that one. You might like it better. Um, but I decided not to deliver the same sermon in honor of our radio listeners who may have already heard something on this topic. This Good Shepherd Sunday is a little bit tricky because the question is, is the term shepherd still relevant? It, we, we're, not, we're not from an agrarian society by and large anymore. We're urban here in Dallas. We kind of know what shepherd means, but I'm not sure we really get it in terms of what the biblical writers meant. So I want to say a few things about shepherd to put it into context. And then I specifically want to talk about the wolves that can attack the community and the way that Christ helps us guard against the wolves. So that's what I'll be talking about. But first, a word about shepherd. In ancient Israel, shepherding was a thing. It was important. Um, they kept the flock. They protected the flock. They cared for and provided for the flock. And so the biblical writers began to see the king of Israel as the good shepherd. And so that's an important political understanding. It wasn't just a pastoral um, immigrant person on a hill. It was the king of Israel. And the king of Israel was either a good shepherd or a bad shepherd. And so the prophets loved unpacking that and trying to determine who was a good shepherd and who was a bad shepherd. So there is that valence in the word. Jesus came along, and especially in the gospel of John, chapter 10 that we have before us today, and he recasts the good shepherd as himself. Now you have to understand how radical this was. This is why he was killed. This is why he was crucified because he was continually talking about, I am in the father, the father is in me. I am in the good, I am the good shepherd. And so these images were very familiar to the people of Israel and specifically to the religious authorities. And so this came dangerously close to blasphemy. In fact, if Christ were not the son of God, it would be blasphemy. But what Jesus recast, he said, I am the good shepherd. And he reminded everybody, that means I care for the sheep. I provide for the sheep. I feed the sheep. But then as Messiah, he added a whole new dimension. I will die for the sheep. And to understand that reference, which you have to understand is sheep herding at that time. Um, once the grazing had completed and they were coming in for the night, there was a stone enclosure and the sheep would be run into this stone enclosure. And the shepherd would build a fire out in front of the gate to ward off intruders. And then the shepherd would literally sleep between the fire and the gate. And so the idea was you had to get over my dead body 
to hurt the sheep. What Jesus is doing today, it's doubly complicated because he's telling this story right after the Pharisees have misbehaved. He healed a man born blind. He did a radical thing. Everybody was talking about it. And the authorities brought this man in, first tried to show he was lying, interrogated his family. And when they couldn't do that, then they turned and said, well, Jesus must be blaspheming. So either way, Jesus was going to lose in this exchange. Either it didn't really happen or Jesus is blaspheming and declaring himself God. This is that vortex, that danger that Jesus is in. So that's just happened. That's just happened with the blind man. And the first words out of his mouth are, I am the good shepherd. And there's a difference between the good shepherd and the hired hands. Pharisees are paying close attention. And basically what he's saying is the hired hands don't really care for the sheep. At the first uh, sign of danger, they run, they flee. Whereas I, as good shepherd, I not only won't flee, but I will die for the sheep. And so he's contrasting his authority as the son of God and the religious leader's authority who had, in a sense, gotten off track. Um, They were no longer caring for the sheep the way God intended because the sheep were harassed. They were harangued. And what they needed was protection and care. And the religious authorities had gotten off track. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the Messiah. So I want us now to think about this sheepfold the sense of the sheep being safe at night and the attackers, the intruders that might come from the outside. And obviously we know in the animal kingdom how animals hunt. They usually gather in packs and they usually try to split off one of the sheep, one of the lesser animals so that they can attack with no problem. That is the way the animal kingdom works. And so in this lesson, it talks about a wolf. Actually, it would have been a pack of wolves having lived in Idaho. We know about this. And I want to say a little word on behalf of the wolves. They are fierce. They will attack, but they're gorgeous creatures and they're part of God's kingdom. And so I'm not going to enter into the fray about the politics about wolves, but I want to hold both their unique role in the creation order, but also their fierceness when they hunt in packs. So as I was thinking about this, I thought of a story of when I was in India Um, I was in ninth grade. We did a lot of hiking. We were in the mountains and it was very jungled. And it was one of my first hikes that I was doing with my ninth grade class. And I wasn't particularly in good shape at the time. Everybody else had been climbing mountains. I was kind of huffing and puffing and the group gets ahead of me. So there's a half of the group is ahead of me. Half the group is behind me and I'm alone going down the trail. I'm not going to get lost, but it's no fun hiking alone in a strange country. Suddenly I see a monkey in front of me, a wild monkey. And I'm an American. I'm like, oh, hi, monkey. Right? And then there's another one. And then there's another one. Before long, there's an entire circle of monkeys that have surrounded me. And those of you who have lived in other countries know what I'm talking about. These are not playful stuffed animals. They have teeth. (laughs) And And they're starting to make sounds. And in that moment, I realized that I had been separated off from the pack and that I was vulnerable. Now, I'm a big I mean, ninth grader, so it's not likely that they would have attacked me, but they could have. And what I did in that moment was to simply run at the front monkey. They parted and I found the rest of the group as quickly as I could. But that's the image I want you to have is there is safety in numbers and then you can get split off so that now you're vulnerable to the attack. And I want you to begin to think about how does this manifest in your own life? 
First of all, as an individual, what are your wolves? What are the things that threaten you, that bear their teeth, that cause you fear, that can actually harm you and kill you? Each one of us has a different answer to that question. It could be financial struggles. It could be a family problem. It could be mental illness, depression, whatever it is that in a sense isolates you and causes you to be vulnerable to life's waves. But even as a church, there are things that can threaten and attack the church. And I would suggest to you that COVID-19 was a wolf, a big, bad wolf. And we mobilized as best we could in this threat. And I will tell you, without the uh, support of my clergy colleagues, without you watching from afar and giving us feedback, it would have been a much harder journey. But that was a real threat. And for some people in our congregation, they lost their lives to this disease, or they're grieving the loss of someone in their family. It affected people differently. Some skated by with barely a touch but others felt the wound of this disease. And so in a sense, that was a wolf, that was a threat. And in that threat, the ones who will survive, the ones who will not only survive, but thrive, are the ones who stayed connected to community. They're the ones who continue to watch online, the ones who would watch Madeline's children's stories about the Bible, encourage other children to watch, the ones who would tune in on Wednesday to hear Chris's Bible study. We were physically separated, but there was a way that we were connected in Christ. And it was that intentional linking to the community, being with others, even virtually, that I think helped guard us against the wolf of COVID-19. The question is, now that we are able to come back, the now, now that we are able to physically regather to some degree, what will our community look like? How has it changed? How will we be stronger? What's possible that we didn't see before? And I want to talk a little bit, ask a few questions. I don't have answers for these, but these are things that I'm thinking about and other clergy are thinking about, um, and you might think about as well in terms of our church community. What new forms of worship will we discover? And what old forms will we let go of? What new temptations will face us that only the strength of Christ can protect us from? How will we share the story of Jesus Christ with authenticity, not because we're supposed to, or not because we're trying to push anything down somebody's throat, but because the saving work of Jesus Christ actually transforms our lives and we can't help but talk about it? Who needs to be reminded of God's love right now? Needs to be reminded that they bear the image of Christ. There might be someone in your life who doesn't see themselves as that way, who don't believe they bear the image of God. And you can be a mirror, a reflection to them to show them their sacred worth. Who do we shut out of our community consciously or unconsciously? God knows that is not our intention, but sometimes in churches, there becomes those we are comfortable being with and those we're not, and there can become an invisible barrier. And I remind you about the wolves and those who are vulnerable. It's those who are cut off and alienated. They need a chance to come and connect with a community and be safe. So it's really practical. It's about survival. 
My priest friend in Seattle, his name is Doit Khan, and he, throughout the pandemic, has been referring to it as the great timeout. I love that. The great timeout. It's almost like every one of us got a chance to rethink what's important to us, what we value, what we'll fight for, what we'll die for. That's what something like this can do when you experience a crisis. It's revealing. And I pray that you won't miss this moment. Do not miss the moment. Having survived the wolf, take stock of who you are, what your connection is like with the community, how you need to change to be more and more in Christ's love. That reflective work is going to make us far better than you can imagine. If you loved the St. Michael of old, you will love the new St. Michael that grows more and more into this authenticity, into this um, revealing of Christ's light. This summer during formation at 10 o'clock, um, different clergy members will give a talk about how the pandemic impacted them and what they're hopeful for as they move into a new reality. And so 10 o'clock beginning June 6th, running through August 1st, not 4th of July, you'll have a chance um, to have clergy share their story and also invite you in small groups to consider that question for yourself. What, did, what are you going to take away from this experience? How are you changed? So what have we talked about today? We've talked about the joy of being able to gather again. We talk about the meaning of shepherd, not only now, but in ancient Israel. We've talked about some of the symbolic wolves that threaten us and the way that we are most vulnerable when we are alone. We talked about how in community, we can guard against the threats better. And we've talked about how our community might become even better. Christ is the good shepherd. He provides for us. He protects us. He gives us good things to overflowing. And we realize this best when we're together. Amen.